0: Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. Wow, what an intro. Matthew's voice is uh, struggling a lot of it. We've been doing a lot of talking. Uh, it's been intense three days at conference. But it's been amazing. It was—it's a big investment to go to a conference, and I spent, me and Shetel, we, we were roommates, and uh, you know, we were just chatting with the family back home and realizing, you know, how amazing our wives are for looking after the family, holding the fort back home. So we said to each other, "We better make sure that we get something out of this conference." <laughs> Otherwise, oh, I was going to be disappointed. And we definitely did. God, God is so faithful. I mean, me and Shetel were just talking on the plane. We had, it was a long plane trip because we we sat on the tarmac for an hour. Uh, and so we had about four hours of chatting about what we hoped God would do in the conference. And after day one, we were like looking at each other like, wow. You <laughs> pretty much answered all our prayers. So, yeah, fantastic. And as you can imagine, there's a temptation for me just to share everything this morning that God has been just pouring into me these last three days, but I'm resisting the temptation, and I'm going with what I feel God put on my heart the last few weeks. Uh, as we talk about this morning, we intentionally follow Jesus daily, desiring to be more like him. This is our second statement in our kind of declaration, we the church. This is We're trying to paint a vision for you of what we believe the local church is, who we are supposed to be as, as his local church. And so we're going to be unpacking that over the next month, just as we did with um, the Seek Uh, section of our series, and as we dive into that statement, I think there's an obvious question, and that would be, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And I think, you know, we've had series on that, there's a lot of discussion about that, different definitions, and we can really grapple with that, right? Like, Like, am I following Jesus? And you could conclude, like the title suggests, that it is to be, of course, more like Jesus. And the process of being more, I think we can trip up on that. Because it's, it's, I don't think it's to be the, the idea of being more like him. It's not so much about addition. It's not about getting more information or, or doing more things necessarily. But often it can be actually a process of subtraction. Uh, as Pastor Steve Warren, so I am quoting a little bit from the conference. Um, Pastor Steve Warren said to us this week, he said... Um, Sometimes we don't need more revelation. What we actually need is more transformation. And that really resonates with me, and I think there's a lot in that. And I'll try to kind of unpack that today. See, because transformation doesn't happen always just by accumulating stuff in a stationary position. It's not just sitting and learning and learning more about the historical person of Jesus or learning more and more of theology. That doesn't really bring about change in itself, but rather it's about seeking as we learn. It's about pursuing him, and at the same time, having an openness for disruption, an openness to change your direction. Okay, so writer Leo Tolstoy, uh, the famous Russian writer, he said this. He said that blessedness was the state of pursuing God swiftly. I love that. The Sermon on the Mount teaches us that blessedness is not reflected in necessarily in your circumstances, but it's about your direction. What are you hungering for? What are you thirsting for in your life? It's how a religious scholar can be spiritually considered spiritually wretched, even though they know so much stuff. They're doing so much stuff for God's kingdom, or supposedly so, whilst a thief or a prostitute can be welcomed into his presence. How does that work? A more important question, maybe, is than how you think you're doing, where you think you're at with God, or where you find yourself today. Maybe a more important question is, what is the direction of your heart? What are you pursuing? Because it's about us actively putting away our old false self. There's action there, there's effort there, and embracing the Holy Spirit's transformative work in us so that we have a part to play in all of this. He does the work, but as I pray this Sunday morning, we need to see that we have to intentionally pick up our own cross daily, just as Jesus did in following him. If we were to realize the good desire to become more like him. Okay, that's my introduction. I just want to quickly pray for this um, message this morning. Father God, I thank you, Lord, as we open up your word this morning, as we just jump into this topic of following you, Lord, that you would just really poke on our heart, Lord. Just show us the areas in our life where we need to see change happen, Lord. Help us to get a a better picture, a clearer picture of who Jesus is so that we will know how to follow you, Lord. We will know what it means to imitate Jesus and, and that you'll give us the courage to maybe make changes, whether it's a mindset shift or Or actually taking actions to change our lifestyle, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that this series will be fruitful in our lives. And I thank you that you are here today and you want to speak to us. May our hearts be open and receptive to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if we're going to talk about what it takes to follow Jesus in this series, we should probably start with the why. That's always a good place to start, right? Why would we desire to be more like him in the first place? Well, many of you are probably convinced about already, but I think one of the best places to start, if you need some reasons, is to look at the book of Romans. Um, Our key scripture for the next month is Romans 12, 1-2, but the first 11 chapters of Romans is is really, the book is kind of divided into two parts, like many of Paul's epistles, right? And so he, he normally divides it into two major sections. First, you get the doctrinal part. So he's just telling you like theological truths about God. And then there's a practical application part that he always ends up in. So what we're in here, Romans 12, 1-2, is basically the transition from the doctrinal part to the practical part. And so he lays it out for us. This is the truth. This is the reality. And here is your worship. This is how you are to respond. In the book of Romans, the doctrinal part is twice as big. As any of the other epistles that he wrote, it's why many consider the book to be Paul's strongest theological contribution to the church. There's some real meaty stuff in it, and I mean, if, you, if you're familiar with Romans, you know what I'm talking about, right? Now, this is one of my wife Lynn's favorite books. She loves Romans. She's always quoting it. I, I've heard it so many times. Like, here we go again, Romans. <laughs> it's her favorite book, so she's super excited to be sharing in a couple weeks' time out of this passage as well, and. She's going to be sharing personally from her story, but I thought, let's just, let's just crack it open today and start exploring it. And next week, during Connect Groups, we're going to be going into it, and we can have our own personal reflections. But let's, let's get started. Um, as I said, I've had an intense few days. I forgot my Bible. I am the worst Christian today. <laughs> I didn't bring my Bible. Luckily, I've printed it out in my notes. But if you do have your Bibles, just take them out now. We're going to read from Romans 12, 1 to 2. I'm reading from the New International Version. It says this. Wow, is it? We, a lot of people love that, that passage. There's so much in it. And so we're going to try and just see, dig it, pull it apart this morning. Uh, Tim Keller calls Romans 12, 1 to 2, a summary of the Christian life. It describes our appropriate response to the gospel that is laid out so well, broken down by Paul in Romans 1 to 11. It is the why of every believer, it's the good news. The good news that the grace of God is now available to all people, an underserved gift. We have been re- made righteous by the blood of Jesus. I mean, I could go on just quoting out of Romans 1 to 11, so many things that God has made available to us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So this is our response now. This is what um, Paul is urging us to respond in an appropriate way. So, the first chapter, 11 chapters document this incredible compassion of God for humanity. And so, Romans 12 begins with this transition. Therefore, Paul exhorts us in view of God's mercy, how do we respond to such an exuberant gift? Well, in the Old Testament, people gave thanks to God, as we know, through animal sacrifice. They were sacrificed an animal to give thanks as an offering. Paul is telling us that we're not to offer dead animals anymore. No, we're to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. Sounds a little bit scary, but let him explain how that's going to work. The body represents the totality of our life. It's our activities. It's everything we do. It's everything we are. Paul is saying, give it all back to him. That's the only proper response. He gave everything for you. You give everything back to him. That's what he's encouraging us to do. He's challenging us here. The body of a believer, as we know, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it is holy and it is pleasing to him that you would offer this as a sacrifice. This is our spiritual worship. Just as the Levite priests of old offered up a sacrificial lamb, we now, as a holy priesthood, offer our total life as a sacrifice back to God in a sacred service. Pretty incredible. In the light of Paul's exhaustive breakdown of the riches and mercies of God, such an offering should be seen as a reasonable response for us as believers. So what's the implications for us? What does this mean for us as as a believer? Offering our life to God as a sacrifice. It represents a radical change in lifestyle. First Paul commands us, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world or this age living according to the lifestyle of, of the spirit of the world, that, that needs to be put aside now. We can't be about that anymore. But instead, we need to be transformed and keep on being transformed. That's key, by the renewing of your mind. The Greek verb translate transform is seen in the English word metamorphosis, a total change from the inside. So it's not like transformers, the little toys I used to enjoy when I was a kid, where they could turn into a different vehicle. No, it's actually transformation from the inside out, something even greater. Paul added, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. His will that is good for us, that is well-pleasing to God and is perfect. As we are transformed in our mind we are made more like Christ. We then come to approve and desire the things that he wants for our life, his will. We're forsake, forsaking, um, as Jesus did, our own will for our life. It's, it's, it's total radical change in our life. We then discover that God's will is what is good for us. Anyone ever experienced that? Like as we start making decisions for God, we realize this is a better way. It's good, and it pleases God. And it is complete in every way. His ways are so much higher. It is all we need. But only by being renewed spiritually can we know, do, and enjoy that will of God. We learned this week at conference that Jesus liked questions. Anyone realize that? Jesus liked asking questions. He asked a lot. And even when he spoke, often it was in a response to someone else's question. My question today, I was thinking, would probably be this. Are we experiencing as this church the transformation that leads us to adopt the attitudes, the thoughts, the feelings, and the actions of Jesus? Well, it may very well be that your answer is not a resounding yes. And I want to help those of you that feel that way, that you feel like you're in that place right now, because I certainly find myself in that place More often than I'd like to admit. One thing I want to highlight from our passage is that our minds are for renewing. It may be an obvious statement, but some things about the way we act, the way we think, need to change. I hope we all agree on that. Some things in our life need to change. Need to change for the sake of our marriage, for the sake of us as a parent, as a colleague, as a friend, as a son, as a daughter, as a child of God, as a disciple, some things need to change, and Jesus wants to help us with that. To follow Jesus is to constantly be challenged about what you don't know and what you thought you knew about Jesus. I mean, Pastor Phil was 70 years old, and he was saying, I've had a complete revolution in my prayer life. I've seen something in Ephesians that I've read my whole life, and God has showed me something new. You're never too old to discover new things in God. That is the life of the journey with God. So we'll be constantly challenged about what we don't know and what we thought we knew. Things that need to be learned and things that also need to be unlearned. You are learning to be like Jesus by learning who Jesus is through the context of your life. That's why everyone's journey looks different. There's different stops along the way. And we take it one day at a time. To know someone, you've got to have a relationship with them, right? I mean, we, we were able to meet up with a couple that were in our church at the end of last year, Kalle and Natalia, and um, a bunch of us didn't know them that very well because we've only heard about them. So it wasn't until we actually went down to Spain and spent time with them and had meals with them, and, you know, talked together, we were able to pray together that we actually started to get to know them. We get to know how they work, how they think, who they are. And it's the same way with Jesus. It can't just be what you've heard, it has to be, what have you experienced with Jesus? What has he shown you in your life? What, what, how is he directing you? What, what is he teaching you? It's a relationship. It's an interactive relationship. It's not just sitting and consuming and learning. It's walking with him, doing with him, imitating him. It can't be secondhand. There's always, in relationships, preconceived ideas that need to be challenged. Oh, I thought this about someone, but then actually when I spent time with him turns out they're not actually like that. And there's always new depths to be discovered. You know, you've ever had that with you get to know someone better and you realize, wow, they're so interesting. I didn't realize. There's so much to be learned. And if there was one person in history who thought she knew Jesus, it was probably his mother, Mary. Gosh. <laughs> I know where I'm going. That's what I'm going to make sure. <laughs> And yet even Mary had to be challenged in who she thought her son was. The Gospels tell the story of no less than three occasions when Mary lost Jesus. Have you thought about that? She lost him three times. Only to discover him in unexpected places. And each time with a new revelation that transformed her relationship with him. We can read in Luke 2. That when Jesus was 12 years old, you you probably know the story. Him and the family, they were down in uh, Jerusalem for Passover. And so they're traveling back to Nazareth where they live. And it's a big group of people. And Mary and Joseph suddenly realized along the way, after quite some time, that their boy was not with them. They're kind of looking at each other. I thought you had him. No, I thought you had him. And it's that horrible moment that every parent dreads when you realize your kid is not there. And so in panic, they searched for him for three days. I mean, could you imagine that? That is crazy. And eventually they found Jesus. Where was he? He was sitting in a temple having a chat about theology with the rabbis, very nonchalantly. And as most parents would react, Mary's relief quickly turned to irritation with her son. Why have you treated us this way? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. I can imagine. young Jesus did not offer an excuse, as kids often don't. Uh, Instead, in the first recorded words of Christ, he says this, Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Mary and Joseph didn't understand this. What did Jesus mean by this? And it wouldn't be the last time people failed to understand Jesus. This story for me is about losing Jesus. Mary had Jesus. She gave birth to Jesus. She nursed him and she raised him. She knew him better than every, anyone else on earth, you could say, but she lost him. And after an agonizing three days search, she found him, but he was different. Mary was forced to reevaluate what she thought she knew about Jesus. Jesus. Years later, Mary would lose Jesus again. When Jesus began his ministry at the age of 30, he left Nazareth and moved to Capernaum. But Jesus' family, they didn't understand what he was doing and wanted to force him to come home. I just imagine this is quite a familiar story for a lot of parents. They thought he was out of his mind. What is he doing? What is he playing at? They wouldn't be the last parents to think that their children are making bad life choices. When they found him in Capernaum, a message was brought to Jesus. Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, who are my mother and brothers? Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Cold. <laughs> you could just imagine her writing in the c free WhatsApp social channel. Please pray for my son. He's gone off the rails. And then Stina's like, I'm on it. <laughs> and you would be like, I agree. He's crazy. So for the second time, Mary had lost Jesus. After seeking and finding him again, she had to again, she had to rethink what she thought about him. Mary, of course, she would lose Jesus one more time. Again, for three days in Jerusalem, she would lose him on Good Friday. And she would find him on Easter Sunday. I think you all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And after that, Mary would have to rethink Jesus in the ultimate sense. He's not just my son. Losing Jesus, finding Jesus, rethinking Jesus. This process is what brings about transformation in how we live. This is how we make spiritual progress in following him. This is the only way I believe we make spiritual progress. Now I recently turned 40 and it's a typical milestone and I'm like everyone else I look back, you take stock of the journey so far. And there's a few realizations about my faith journey in particular, what I thought about who Jesus was, how Christianity's done. And I realized that that some days some points along my journey I felt like the image I had of God had been sort of crushed. Like like I had to rethink things. It's like I I I lost who I thought Jesus was in my journey. And I had to go searching for him again. I had to rethink things. I had to reevaluate it. I had to go to his word. And so there was some searching that had to take place. And I can understand, Mary, where there's been times of of worry, of frustration, of even devastation along along our journey of faith. And we have to go searching for him. But luckily, his word says, seek and you shall find him. But when I found Jesus after losing him, I realized he's different to what I thought. That I had maybe the wrong picture of him. That's when rethinking, sometimes even repenting, starts. And it's the only way we make spiritual progress. Now, you might not identify with an experience of feeling like you've lost Jesus. Now, of course, you don't lose Jesus. He's always here. But it can feel like that sometimes, that he's really distant. But it could be that we fail to see that God is calling us to move into a much deeper, richer experience of him. Because you met Jesus here 10 years ago, and I know a lot of us can relate to this because we come from different cultures, right? And you probably had such a rich experience of Jesus back in your homeland or when you were younger. and We can get nostalgic about that thing. Where is that Jesus? I had such a great time with Jesus back then or, or there. Have I lost that Jesus? Do you know what I'm talking about here? Yeah. <laughs> I believe God is calling us to experience a new side of him. It's not that that old Jesus has disappeared. It's just that he wants to reveal and give more clarity. He wants to show us a new side of him. Because where you met him 10 years ago, don't assume that that's where he will remain. Don't assume that's all there is to know about him. Because the thing about Jesus is that he is faithful, but he's definitely not predictable. The Jesus of the Gospels is full of surprises. I mean, you look at the journey of the disciples. They were constantly having, having their mindset shifted, their understanding. They had a lot of questions. Wait a minute. This is not what I expected. To assume that we, the way we once understood Jesus is the way we will always understand Jesus is a spirit prescription for spiritual stagnation. The reality is we have Jesus, we lose Jesus, we seek Jesus, we find Jesus, we rethink Jesus. And this is the inescapable pattern of spiritual growth that happens in our life. In his book, When God Interrupts Finding New Life for Unwanted Change, Craig Barnes says this, the deep fear behind every loss is that we have been abandoned by the God who should have saved us. The transforming moment in Christian conversation comes when we realize that even God has left us. We then discover it was not God, but our image of God that abandoned us. Only then is change possible. Christelle, you know what I'm talking about here, don't you? I think many of us know what I'm talking about. A lot of times we think that Jesus has abandoned us because he doesn't do what we expected him to do. And we realize, actually, that is not what God ever said he was going to do. We have a wrong image of who he is. The reality is he never leaves us. Even when we're in the valley, as same as we're in the mountaintop, he is with us. God hides. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm calling losing Jesus. Let me just get this right. What I'm calling loses Jesus is what John of the cross called the dark night of the soul. You ever heard that before? The dark night of the soul when you just feel so distant from God. Sometimes when we're in a place of, shame, uh, of sin, we, we can feel so sh- shameful that God just feels like distant from us. That there's something in between. And we feel like we're in a dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul is not a crisis of circumstances though. It's a spiritual crisis of absence the apparent absence of God—it feels like God is not there right now—and God woos us forward by seeming to disappear. It's a kind of spiritual hide and seek, my kids' favorite game. Hide and seek. If I ever want to just get them on the same page if they're fighting and stuff, I was like, "Let's play hide and seek. Everything's good. <laughs> play that for half an hour." And it's kind of like that in our journey with Him, following Him. It feels like there's a bit of a hide and seek going. Where's Jesus gone? But it's not like when I hide, because when I hide, I want to make it really difficult. So I'm always coming up with new places to hide that they've never been before. It's like when my youngest son, Eden, plays. He's not very good at hide and seek. He doesn't get the concept, right? He's like, I'm here. So it's like, oh, that was a short game. Count again. That's the thing about God. He, He loves to be found. He wants us to find him. But he's wooing us. Come and find me. Come and experience a new side of me. Don't just stay there. God is always near, but he wants us to sometimes meet him, us, in a new place to show a new thing to us, to learn about who he really is. God hides and we seek. Once we recognize God's absence, we begin to seek God desperately during sometimes the agony of that dark night of the soul. And in the seeking, we find always, but in finding we discover that we have arrived in a new place and that we have become a different person. And this is all part of the spiritual journey, losing Jesus, the dark night of the soul. This is how we grow. And without these difficult experiences, we simply just stay the same. That's why people say, you know, suffering is an important part of the journey. Jesus suffered. We will suffer God never guarantees us a bed of roses in our life, and we know that that is just not the reality of life. We will suffer loss in life, and but through difficult experiences, we don't have to stay the same. We can realize that God maybe is not in our traveling company, as Mary said. We go looking for Him in this new place, and if we have that sensitivity to notice that we've maybe gone taken a wrong turn somewhere. We can seek him anew. We can find him again. And in the process, we can be transformed. I want to invite the band up now as we come to a close. You know, one of the places... That we find Jesus is at his table. We heard the scripture in a Shettle sermon, 1 Corinthians 1 9, it says this For God is faithful, from whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Christ Jesus. There is always a seat waiting for you at your true home, an invitation. That I'm presenting to all of us this morning to come, and as Shetl said last gathering, to enjoy fellowship with him. It's what we're created for. So as we take communion shortly now, let us come to this table this morning. Maybe you feel like you've lost sight of Jesus altogether. Or perhaps you feel he's just distant in certain situations, like he's distant in your marriage. Like, where's Jesus in my marriage? Like, where's Jesus in, in, my, in my kid's life? Where, where's Jesus in my workplace? Maybe there's areas of your life where you just like, it's just, you feel like Jesus is not with you in that area. And maybe he wants you to discover a new side of him in that place. Maybe you just need to invite him into that area. Maybe you need to change some of the ideas that you have about how Jesus is supposed to operate. We're not to dictate how he, how he is, but we're supposed to learn about who he is. So if that's you this morning, I just want you to give that over to God this morning as we partake in communion. Let's all just stand now. I see that the ushers are prepared, the communion. So as we partake, In communion this morning, let us remember that we are united with him. Take this as an opportunity this morning to invite him into those parts of your life that you feel alone in, that you feel maybe like you've been abandoned. You can't see Jesus in that area of your life. You know, when we take communion, when we take of his body and his blood through the bread and, and the juice. We are being united with him as we remember that he is always with us, even though it might feel like he's hidden, like he's, he's lost to us. He's always there for us. So I just want to read now from 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 to 26 to remind us of this truth. It says, For I received from the Lord... What I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen.